Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Oh, the horn is Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a someplace they play so far. Everything with an attitude. Got a family. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young and play playing against and make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. End zone. This is a mauling, folks. A mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. I- Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Tom, national champions, number 16. That sounds great, right? Man, it does. And, um, you know, the the biggest thing is, is you and I have been blessed to to go to five of these games since 92. And uh, we've been able to walk away with a smile on our face, five for five. And uh, Bama fans just really need to enjoy the moment. Because uh, a lot of schools get there, um, they might get there three or four times and only walk away with two. And um, for us to have been able to say during our lifetime um, that we are or during our adult lifetime that we've been able to go to five games and be five for five is, is pretty freaking special. Yeah, I envy you that 92 game because I did not go to that. And so um, in our personal race to attend national champions championship games, I don't know how I'll get one up on you, but I'll have to keep working on that. But but in, in this recent run, and I read, you know, kind of going into the game, and, and to me this is one of those, like, fun little stats, right? But with this game, we've hit for the cycle in the four BCS locations. We've won national titles, you know, four of the last seven years, but we've won them in the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl, and that's out of order of how they happen, but sort of west to – uh, you know, but that's the four, right? That's the four bowls, uh, sort of big BCS bowls, and we've now won a national title in all of them. That's pretty cool. Man, that is awesome, man. It's, it's nice to say that we have been able to uh, to, to run the table across the, or across the uh, United States of America. That's right. Well, let's uh, – hey, let's kind of break this down sort of in similar fashion to how we do other games, a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense, a little bit of special teams, throw in uh, some mini game balls and – you know, we can break all the rules and pass out as many balls as we want to, I guess, in this kind of game. And, you know, the breakdown's a little different, right, because we're not sort of watching things in the context and, and anticipating how things are going to continue and uh, to evolve uh, over the season. We're just going to celebrate what we saw and uh, maybe some things we didn't like. But, uh, you know, this one, uh, this one, you know, the victory in this one is pretty good deodorant. So uh, why, don't, why don't we kick us off on offense and uh, talk us through some of the things that uh, really jumped out to you? Man, you know, um, we knew coming into this game that 
that that Clemson had a really good defensive, you know, two good defensive ends. And um, early on in the game, on that first possession, we tried a lot of things. Um, we we tried a lot of different formations. Uh, we tried a pitch. We tried end rounds. We tried the bubble screens left and right. We tried trap plays. Um, it, it felt like we tried to go wide and stretch them, like you and I have talked about. Lane Kiffin likes to stretch teams sideline to sideline. And, you know, my, my biggest takeaway early in this game is – we we just didn't match up well with this team. And what I mean by that is, is is typically we've played defenses where, you know, they've got some stud defensive ends like like Arkansas did and like Texas A&M did. But then their linebackers were 210 pounds, right? And so we could dominate, we could dominate um, the middle of the defense and, and find a weakness. And to Clemson's credit, um, they had – Physical, big physical uh, inside linebackers. They had a physical nose guard. They had very good defensive ends. Uh, they stayed in their base formation in the 4-3 a lot. And um, to their credit, um, they were really able to um, frustrate our offense. And I, I think it wasn't until Jake Coker rolled out of the pocket and, and got out of the pocket um, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, where uh, where things really started turning around. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know they they did create some some matchup issues, and they were the most, uh, it, you know, they were clearly the best defense that that we have faced, and they they were good up front, <clears throat> and they were good in the secondary too. And in many regards, they were like uh, they were like Florida. Um, in that you know they could play stout up front and they had the corners in the in the back end and we saw that we struggled a little bit uh, you know against Florida and, and of course we opened up the the offense we ended up scoring more points against Clemson but you know there was, was some you know special team contributors too that we'll get to but you know Clemson posed a, a different kind of threat you know Michigan State was was sound up front their secondary wasn't that good and so they had to play a lot of zone you know um, Clemson could be stout up front and play man-to-man coverage with, uh, you know, some top-flight corners, and their safety play was really good. Their safeties were probably, um, as, as a pair, uh, the best group of safeties that we've played all season, and they were tall, and they were rangy, and they and they were big. And their strong safety to, was very physical, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so they were able to, uh, to, to make some good plays. And so, you know, they were definitely, uh, you know, definitely a good team. I figured that, you know, unlike Michigan State, we'd come out and try to establish the run. And we did a pretty good job with that. You know, obviously Henry broke the one big run. And, uh, you know, you kind of – I kind of thought, you know, this might be it. You know, we, you know, we busted runs against Wisconsin and continued to do so throughout the game. And I thought, oh, we, you know, we might actually line up and be able to run through him because he had a lot of success. I think – I. I had to go back and look at the exact numbers, but at one point, you know, he was sitting on 129 yards rushing and, and he may have carried 129 rushing at half. And then, you know, he finished, you know, finished with, with 267. And so his, his rushing stats, um, you know, significantly down in the second half. And, you know, we can talk about our third quarter play, which was, which was pretty atrocious. Uh, I think Clemson came out and made some really good adjustments uh, at half, Venerables is a good defensive coach, and and uh, you know we looked pretty anemic in the third quarter, and there were times there that it looked like 
this could slip away if we don't take control over one of these possessions. And, you know, fortunately we did. No, absolutely. Um, talk a little bit about, um, talk a little bit about the big plays because, um, you and I talked after the game about the big plays that we had on offense, I think really kept us in this game. Um, you know, when you look back at the time of possession, when the stats are, are finalized and, you see they had the, you know, 30 minutes and 14 seconds or something, and we had 29 minutes. That surprised me a little bit um, because I would have guessed when the game was over it wasn't 50-50 uh, because we had those big strikes on offense, and, you know, that kind of that minimizes your time of possession. Um, but talk a little bit about um, O.J. Howard. Um, you know, both of these teams had success going to the, going to the well – you know, them with Hunter Renfo and, and us with O.J. Howard where, you know, I, I guess they didn't really they, they didn't really prepare for him too much, it seems like, in film study because there was there was a couple of atrocious busted coverages where uh, you and I might could have caught that ball. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the big plays and, and you know, I don't want to maybe steal your, your material but because, because we did talk. But, uh, you know, a lot of times you watch a game and, and you'll say, you know, one team clearly beat the other save for a couple big plays, it could have been a shutout. Or save for a couple big plays, it could have been, you know, you know, certainly a blowout, right? We were the team that had, not to say Clemson didn't have big plays, because they certainly did. They seemed to be more methodical sort of driving the field. We just had, we just seemed to have big play after big play after big play, and they were scoring plays. And, um, you know, you take away a couple of the big plays, and this game goes south for us, and, and, and we don't win it. And so, you know, if and nuts, you know, if and butts are candy and nuts and that kind of thing. But, you know, had we not, had, had we not connected on all of these sort of big-time plays, the game goes completely different, a different way. And, and OJ, I mean, what do you want to say, right? I mean, this was, you know, at one point I said, you know, this is uh, – we're putting on a lesson uh, on how – to use a tight end like like him. I mean, we just literally put on a clinic. And and so you think, you know, you, sort of the snarky part of me says, I hope we were paying attention to what we just did. Um, in, the, in the last game of the season. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully hopefully he decides to come back, right? And, and, um, and, and you know, it's almost like, hey, we promise we'll run, the, you know, we'll do more some of, of these we plays promise. every game, you know, if you come back kind of thing. And, and you can't do that, but, you know, that's that's what you want to do. And, and so – you know, you think about, you know, how, how he lined up. And, and like you said, it was blown coverages, but but they were trying to account for him. And, and there was, you know, there was a play, and, and I you know, he scored three touchdowns, right? And so there's just an abundance of touchdowns. He hasn't scored a touchdown, you know, since 2013. I mean, wrap your mind around that. And um, and, and so I kind of lose track of, of <laughs> the, the, the plethora of touchdowns that he put up. But, you know, I've, and I think it may have been his first one where the, uh, you know, there was a corner and a safety and they just got swapped up in coverage, and uh, it, and it just didn't know, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of what to what to do with him. Who's and, getting, yeah, uh, who's, yeah, who's got whose guy is this? Yeah, yeah and then, and then he and then you know he kind of got uh, kind of got away from him there, and so that you know that that was one. Um, you know, I my probably my favorite was was I guess it was his second, and uh, and he was lined up with. Um, and I want to say he was lined up outside with with Ardarius, and you know there again, our, the coverage bit on Ardarius, 
which at that point was a little surprising. And, uh, and, and, you know, Howard, Howard just, you know, continues streaking down the field and you see, you see our Darius like motioning, you know, because he knows that he's a read Coker's looking for him. Coker's looking for, for Howard. And you know how sometimes you'll see a receiver like put up his arm, like, Hey, I'm open. Our Darius was waving his arms and like pointing at OJ Howard, like, don't read me, read him. <laughs> and, and, you know, I didn't see He's that the game, but I went back and watched the replay, and, and I saw that. And I got the biggest kick out of Ardarius is telling Coker where to read, <laughs> and I got a kick out of that. And then the last one was just a little shuffle, um, just a little shuffle out of the backfield. It was really nothing, right? And so it was it was designed to kind of spread the field a little bit. You know who's going to be on Howard uh, at that point in the game, and, and he said, well, you know, if he can beat the edge and he can make a play on his one-on-one guy – and, you know, maybe he can get 15 or, or 20 yards out of that. And, you know, of course, he ended up getting the edge and taking it to the house. And, oh, man, that would, you know, that was, you know, obviously exciting. And so Howard's a guy I hope he gets back. I mean, obviously, he just had a career day. And, uh, you know, he could play he could play another season in Alabama and not match that. And, and you know, he obviously has to make a business decision. But, man, I'd love to see him come back. And I would love to see us leverage his ability more and more. No, absolutely. You know, on that one touchdown down the right sideline, you know, I, I want to touch on that just a minute to to give some kudos to to Jake Coker. Um, on the play, uh, Clemson did a stunt um, with their inside linebacker, um, number 10, and um, Derrick Henry was in the backfield uh, uh, next to him in the shotgun. And Derrick Henry, to his credit, actually chipped both – the linebacker and the nose guard. And so the the linebacker stunted at Ryan Kelly, who's blocking the nose guard, so the nose guard can peel around. And Ryan Kelly just gets a little bit of the nose guard. Derrick Henry uh, puts his body out there and, and chips both of them a, a little bit as best he can. And um, the linebacker ends up coming right at his feet. And so Jake Coker has to throw off his back foot, which you never should do as a quarterback. Um, not the first time he's done that this year because, unfortunately, he's he's had a lot of pressure in the pocket this year. And just his pure strength as a quarterback, he unloads that uh, – he unloads the the ball to, to O.J. Howard out there and um, and just and just gives it all it's, – it's all arm. It's all arm. And, yep. and he did the same thing on the, on the big third down play to Ardarius Stewart in the fourth quarter. And I just want to highlight that real quick that – this guy did um, – how can I say this? If we have McElroy or A.J. McCarron or John Parker Wilson in that situation, I don't think those passes get completed. I'm taking nothing away from those guys. Those guys obviously were successful at Alabama. But just the pure arm strength that this kid possesses, um, I, I think, was was key in this game. Um, because there were many times that he was having to throw in an unorthodox position and was still able to to get the ball where it needed to be. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I'm with you. I take nothing away from those guys because they bring different things to the table that, uh, you know, Coker's maybe not as good at. But from a pure arm strength standpoint, you know, he certainly – he you know, that is a tool. That's an asset that he has. And, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's like any tool you have. It's, you know, it's like that, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And so – Early in the season, he had this he had this weapon, and he wasn't fully formed in how to use it. And so he would throw those, you know, off balance throw those off platform throws, 
um, you know, off the back leg. And, and he threw a lot of picks, and he threw a lot of picks much earlier in the season. And if you go back and look at each one of those, how many of those did he have someone in his face, he was throwing off balance, and he threw in the coverage, and they were just egregious, um, you know, egregious interceptions. But when you break down, you know, step one led to step two, step, led to step three, and you kind of see it happen, you know, you think these are very coachable things. And we talked about it during the season. These are very coachable things. Take the sack. Throw it away. Throw it out of bounds or take the sack. But don't just put it up, you know, when you don't know what's what's going on there. And and I love the Ardarius throw. And we talked about this at, at one point. I can't remember the game. And, you know, Ardarius and, and Coker have a good relationship. And, and Stewart said, hey, look, when you're under pressure, you know, and you're up. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna run a go. You just put it up. I'll be there. And we did that at one. Again, it was a couple. It was you know several weeks ago now, and I can't remember the game unfortunately. But but uh, you know that was kind of a big deal when that happened. And that's exactly what we did in this game. And it was right there, kind of you know third quarter going into the fourth quarter. I guess it was a fourth quarter where we needed a play. We were coming out. We just doldrums in the third quarter, and we needed a play. And that just seemed the most improbable play, you know, going. And when he hit that, I thought that is a momentum shift right there. That's a boost. That's a shot in the arm the offense is needed. Well, for him just to drop that ball like that, right? Just to drop that ball right to, you know, right where it needed to be um, was was just key. And I just think that, you know, he, he was – I just think against this offense – excuse me, against this defense for Clemson – we needed a six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound quarterback. Yes, I yes. guess what I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and he delivered, and and his progress, I, and I don't I don't dispute that. the The point that I'm probably you know belaboring and and probably not doing a good job is is just the evolution that he has demonstrated over the course of the season. And so you know last you know last game Michigan State, we were able to put the game on his shoulders. Uh, you know, we knew how that they, how they were going to play, how they were going to defend us, and that we knew that we could trust him enough to sort of own the game. In this game, we didn't necessarily have to build the game plan off of him, but, you know, still 16 of 25, that's kind of in the, in the you know, Tommy wheelhouse for what you want your quarterback to do. Uh, you know, no one expected OJ to blow up for 208 yards, so, you know, that pads his, his yardage numbers. But, you know, his his completion versus his opportunity – uh, his attempts is right there where you'd want it, and some of those throws were just phenomenal. Were you surprised? Um, I know, um, I know, we missed a couple of throws to to Ridley. Um, did did you feel like early on, after we missed a couple of throws to Ridley, that we that we went away from him? I, I kind of had to do a double take when I looked at the stats and saw he had six catches for fourteen yards. You know, if you were going to tell me that Ridley, if you told me Ridley's stat line and Mulaney's stat line, I might wonder if we win the game because yes, they were by, both by itself. Yes. Yeah, just kind of by itself. And so, you know, if you would have told me Howard's stat line, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, it's the mosaic, right? And so every right. little tile is going to look differently when you put it together. And so, you know, Mulaney had, you know, one catch and, and uh, and and Ridley, you know, his his yardage totals were, you know, were way down. He was close on a couple of catches, uh, but I think the catches he was close on, I, you know, I, t- I think we took a shot in the end zone, and that was a design play. 
which that, he was interfered with on the play. Yes. Yeah, there was a little bit of interference there. Um, it, it wasn't egregious, but it was, you know, the when I saw the the fist clinch with jersey in it. Yes. You know, if he if the if the if the guy had an open palm and he was touching him, then hey, that's incidental contact. But when there's a clinched fist holding jersey, then yes, that should have been flagged. Uh, but you know, we took that shot. Uh, there were a couple times we went to him. Um, on third down. And on we third just, down. Or a couple times we went to him and he wasn't the primary receiver. And, and yeah. you know, really, you know, you might say didn't look ready for the ball, but then the ball was, you know, not placed as well as it could be. And, you know, I don't know that we intentionally tried to use him as a decoy, but I think we found out early on that, hey, the corner that's 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 on Ridley is good and we need to look for other outlets. And we said, well, hey, look, they're – you know, Howard's going to be available. And how many times have we said this, right? Hey, if that's how you're going to cover Howard, that will be available all day. And we just normally doesn't, we just normally don't take the team up on it. Right. Yeah. We took, you know, it was like, well, okay, you know, I'll take you up on that offer this time. So. Well, what, what, what else jumped out at you on, on offense? You know, I, you know, I was, um, you know, as a senior, Offensive lineman, um, you know, and I and I hate to go kind of with a downer, but just you know, when I look kind of down my board, you know, what else sort of jumped out at me was was how Dominic Jackson struggled, and so I, you know, in in the face of all everything being celebratory, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm picking on Dom, but Dom didn't have a good day, and uh, Cam Robinson struggled too. I think both yeah, tackles struggled. Yeah, I, you know, both of them did. You know, and again, I'm saying I'm not trying to pile on him, but 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 I am a little bit. You know, I, he he was a little more egregious. He had a couple of holding calls. He had a couple of whiffs, and you know, right there in that that third quarter, um, where we really did struggle. He, you know, Dom seemed to struggle the most, and and uh, and I'm a big fan of him, and so I, you know, I I you know I look for him to to you know obviously he's going to go pro and and have an opportunity there, but. Uh, you know that wasn't his finer showing, and he knew he knew it. You could see him react after each, you know, after sort of each of his his plays. He knew that he had screwed up, and you know he went back and 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 battled, and he just he just he just drew the short straw. He just drew a a, a tough assignment. Well, both of those defensive ends obviously declared for the pros. You know, the day after the game, um, they you and I talked about against, you know, Arkansas, against Texas A&M, against Tennessee, um, against teams with really good defensive ends. We struggled to protect the quarterback. And it's no surprise that having four sacks in the first half and finishing with only one more sack in the second half, um, I think to our credit, we altered the game plan um, to, you know, to get Coker out of the pocket. Um, You know, you were talking about that third quarter. I think it's key to point out that in a third quarter, um, the way that the way that they have up tempo, and the way that the the you know, and I, I guess we can talk about this when they flip the field to defense. But what was so key is we only had the ball for five minutes in the third quarter, and yet they scored ten points and we scored seven. And so I, I you know, Clemson's played teams and you know this season where they've had the ball for you know all but five minutes of a quarter. And you know, hung seventeen on somebody, and so I, I think for us to be able to finish that third quarter still in the game was was huge. Um, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about as far as as how we kind of used uh, Derrick Henry. 
you know, Kenyon Drake ended up only getting one carry in the ball game. Um, you know, not counting, you know, the special teams gets, you know, obviously accounted for separately. Are, are you surprised that Derrick Henry had 36 carries and Kenyon Drake only got one? Yes, and then no. I'm not surprised that that Henry, you know, was over 30. That that didn't surprise me. There's not another game. There's not another, and you know, and and you know, he didn't have that many. You know, he didn't have so many carries against uh, against Michigan State, and so you knew he was fresh. And there, and and we weren't saving him for anything, and that he was going to be a focal point of the offense. And so I'm not surprised that you know that he had that many carries. There were a couple of times he came close to to breaking um, a, a tackle. It was you know a, a, another block here, just getting to the edge just a little bit. I mean he he was he was close, and uh, I'm not surprised at his number of carries. I am surprised at Drake's. I, I thought Drake would be used. Now you know obviously there's the kickoff return, and, and we can talk about that. But the his play in the scheme of the offense, I kept expecting us to use him more, especially when we were struggling. You know, they had taken away Ridley. You know, obviously we were going to Howard, but, you know, Drake is the kind of guy that we could have looked for to create a matchup, uh, you know, disrupt a, a matchup. And and it, it seemed that we weren't as creative in doing that as I thought we could. You know, I did like, um, you know, Drake got a carry sort of in in the red zone, and it was a good hard carry, and and you know, and, and he got, you know, advanced the ball, and then he immediately came out, and you could see him react like, "Damn it, that was my chance," and uh, you know, and of course, you know, he wanted that touchdown, got one later, and so that's fine. But I would have liked to have seen him be used more in the flow of the offense because I just think he's such a dynamic player and can is capable of create, creating such such mismatches that, um, you know, there was some leverageability there, and I don't think we took advantage of that. Well, it definitely seemed like we we put the load on Coker. I mean, Coker finished with eight, you know, eight carries, which were, you know, I think pretty much scrambles. So he dropped back 33 times, um, which kind of surprised me in this game that, you know, out of our 71 plays, he dropped back 33 times or, you know, 50% of the time. So uh, I definitely was surprised that that we didn't use Kenyon Drake more. Um, you know, not to not to not to rain on OJ Howard's parade of of his two touchdowns because you know five catches, two hundred eight yards, two touchdowns is awesome. Congratulations! Um, but early in this game, um, it seems like we were trying to to do some different things running the ball, and all I could think was is you know, man, I, I miss I miss the days of us having the two tight ends where we could really dominate the line of scrimmage. And and what I mean by that is, is, you know, once again, I'm very happy, obviously, we won this ball game, But we just weren't matched up well against this team with the personnel that we had. And, and obviously, Heisman Trophy winner Derrick Henry, you know, getting the rock 36 carries for 167 yards is, is awesome. Um, but the reason I think Derrick Henry only had 30 yards in the second half is we couldn't take the air out of the ball. We couldn't wear them down. Um, we couldn't have the 12 or 13 play drives. And I think that's because we don't have the two big, beefy tight ends who are big and athletic enough to be an extra offensive lineman to really control their their front seven. And they created matchup problems in their front seven that when you took our five offensive linemen 
and you took a, one of our wide receivers and OJ Howard because we didn't run two tight ends very often. Um, our seven against their seven, you know, we weren't able to we weren't able to get the push that we're that we're accustomed to getting. And so yeah. when you when you look at his stats, you're like, great man, he had a great ball game. But I just think that if we could have taken the air out of this ball in the second half. Um, and kept that high-powered offense off the field with their little chinks and chanks, um, it would have been a whole different ball game. Sure, sure. I agree. You know, there were a couple opportunities, uh, you know, and down at the goal line, and we've seen this, you know, the last couple of last couple of games, and then obviously we saw it a couple times against Clemson. You know, we bring in Jaron Reed and, and Ashawn Robinson, and, you know, and they both attack the two eight gaps, and then Henry just sort of, you know, plunges over. And and there was a part of me that, that thought, you know, hey – you know, third and one in the middle of the field, third and two in the middle of the field. Why not? Why not do that again? Yeah, and so and it, but two things off of that, right? Let's do it again and have him just sort of dive over and and get the first down, or let's do that and then pitch it play to action outside. pass or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that too. I was like, where's Jaron Reed, Nashawn Robinson in the middle of the field? Yeah, um, and so give but, me a third and three, a third and two, line that up, and then pitch it to the outside. You know, I, I kind of like, you know, some of the opportunities there. Now you want to be careful bringing them in too too much, and obviously they're stalwarts on on the defense, and you know it's a call it a defensive struggle. Obviously, our defense did struggle, and so you don't want to wear them out just willy nilly on the field. But I thought, well, yeah, there's a couple opportunities we could have done something like that with them, and you know we chose not to. Well, hey, quick question. I, I don't really know whether to throw this on offense or defense. So as you go back and look at the scoring, you know, quarter by quarter, you know, 21 points in the first quarter, only seven in the second quarter, which is Alabama, you know, seven Alabama, 10 Clemson in the third quarter. So we're sitting here with a 24-21 ball game after three quarters. Um, how shocked were you to see 40 points hung in the fourth quarter? Yeah, very much so, right? You know, even just going back and watching it again, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I watched most of it again last night, and and you see going into the fourth quarter, we've got 20, 21 points, and you think, geez, we're about to score 24 points. We're about to outscore ourselves in, in this lone quarter. After and then, three quarters, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then at one point we got up to <clears> – <throat> You know, we got up, we, we scored and got up to, um, got up to 37. And even just watching it, you know, obviously I said this at the stadium, and even just watching it again, I thought 37, that's enough for us to win the game. And I kind of paused. I said, no, I know what the final score is. 37 loses the game for us. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah. you know, but you just, you know, you score those points, even, and again, even just the emotion of watching it again, you score those points and you think, that's the margin. That's, that's what we need. That's the ball game. And, and, you know, obviously it wouldn't have been. And, you know, the game was even close, you know, the, the way they ended it with, with an onside kick. And so um, very surprising that so many points were, were scored in, in the fourth. Um, you know, if there was going to be an offensive explosion, I would have expected it to be, to be us. And I say that, you know, primarily because it's what we do. It's what we've done, right? We, we wear teams out. And, and it just seemed that both offenses – wore out their their respective defenses and so we were able to put a lot of points up in the fourth but guess what so were they uh because because they had put the strain on our defense you know and, and what's so interesting about that and, and we'll talk more about this on the alabama side as, as we flip the field you know my takeaway from the game 
is a little different from the standpoint of, of wearing out. I think they wore out our defense, but I don't think we wore out their defense. Um, you know, and, and, and we can talk about this, like I said, when, when we flip the field, but I don't know if it's because we had, you know, the, the 51 yard play to OJ Howard, which was the second play of that drive in the fourth quarter. And then we have a kickoff return for a touchdown. So once again, the offense doesn't come on the field, but you know, I don't really feel like their defense. I mean, what I mean is, is we, we had the ball for five minutes in the third quarter and seven minutes in the fourth quarter. We only had the ball for 12 minutes in the second half because of those other big plays and special teams plays. And so, you know, that's why I said earlier, without those big plays, we lose the ball game because their defense was still fresh. Their defense had not been on the field very often in the in the third and fourth quarter. And um, this this game goes to overtime, and 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 I would have been worried. No, you're right. I think that I think you make a good point. There is is the the way that we scored did not necessarily wear out wear out their defense. You know, as, as you're kind of stepping through that, it you know it kind of reminds me back to a thought that I had during during the ball game. And at, and at one point, you know, and this is maybe you know approaching half, they showed a uh, a time of possession split, and I guess this was at half and. You know, Alabama had possessed the ball, um, you know, 17 minutes and and Clemson had possessed it, you know, 12. And so you think, or at least I was thinking, you know, that is a, that's a trend. That's not just a, a, a point in time, but that's a trend. That five-minute differential over the half is is going to grow as as the game goes on. And and, and and it was just the opposite. The gap the gap closed. It exactly flipped, David. Not to it, jump in here, man. They they had the ball twelve minutes and twenty eight seconds in the first half. We had the ball twelve minutes and like fifty seconds in the second half. Yep, yep. And that you're exactly right. And so when I saw it at first, my first reaction was, "That is great. That is playing exactly into our hands. That is a trend that's going to continue, and it is going to have a cumulative effect on their defense." When the stat came back up and the gap was was closing, you know, whatever point in the third quarter, right? They they kept showing that stat and and the gap was closing. I had an oh no moment, right? Because I said, well, if it's true, if it's true of us doing that to them, it's true of them doing that to us. And you know, and I and I wanted to really sort of rely on our depth and our rotations and all of those things, and all of that's true, but. Still, right? That was a significant swing that happened very quickly. So we amassed a lot of of uh, you know of reps of time on the field. Our defense did, and I, I think you're right. I think they wore out our defense, and and you know they got their big run, and they were able to recoup at half. And you know we had our long run on defense, and there was no recoup. Right. And so if it had gone to overtime, which the way the score kind of played out. A five-point margin. It oh, yeah. wasn't going to go in overtime, sure. but sure. in a in an alternative ending where the scores stay kind of back and forth, and it does go to overtime. Yeah, you're right. I don't like our chances uh, in that situation. Well, hey, any uh, anything else on offense before we uh, flip the or before we do mini game balls? No, give me your mini game ball, man. Um, you know, it's. It, Man, it's it's kind of hard where to to go with this. I'm I'm gonna have to give this to to our Darius Stewart. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of these guys are are your boys. 
Um, but you know, the, the catch he made and as you've just kind of highlighted, um, that, that was huge. Um, you know, we had a lot of big plays and so to, to look at that play and say, gosh, this wasn't even a scoring play, uh, and it was a big play. Um, but I, I think that that 38 yard pass on third and 11 at our 44, you know, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, um, was, you know, I guess I can't call it the play of the game. Uh, it might be in a you know handful of a couple of plays of the game, but um, you know, for for our Darius Stewart to to finish the day and 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 see that you know he only had the you know he only ended up having two catches on the day. Well, damn, I'm glad that was one of his. You up and down that explanation were reading my mail. There was not a point that I wanted to make that you didn't just make. Um, I, you know, I was going our Darius for my mini game ball. I was going to say the same thing about, I don't know what would be the play of the game, but if this isn't in the top three, then you watch the wrong game. Uh, and, and it came at a point, the, this, the only thing that I have that I can add is it came at a point we we, we were just emerging from, from just the atrocious third quarter. And if we had continued to play as poorly in the fourth as we did in the third, and it sounds like an obvious, you know, sort of dumb statement, but but there reached a point. I said, you know, this game could could turn here, and it could slip away, and if it slips away, it could get ugly, um, and 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 of course, I didn't want to invest a lot of time, you know, sort of unpacking that, uh, but but that was I, I you know that's a thought process that I kind of stepped through, and. And I said, look, I don't know how we're going to, you know, fix this. I don't know how we're going to sort of turn the corner on offense. There's a couple of things that I wanted us to kind of try and do and use Drake or, or do something. And then just out of stinking freaking nowhere, um, you know, he heaves it up and our Darius catches it. And then and it just seems like that just breathes life into our offense. And, you know, we go on from there and score 28 points or, you know, 24 points. But uh, like you said, for a non-scoring for a non-scoring play in such a big play game, it's hard to think that that's pivotal. But it's right up there. Well, it's crazy to think that we go in at halftime tied. We've we've dominated time of possession as you talked about. We come out and 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 I think this is key. Um, we come out and we get you know they get the ball first to start the second half which is scary as crap because, you know, of what they can do offensively or what we've seen in the first half. We, we, hold, them to, uh, we hold them to a quick three and out. They punt the ball. We, we pin them back, by the way, which is awesome. Um, they punt the ball from the 30. We started our 36. Three plays later, O.J. Howard touchdown. Everybody's excited. And I, and I remember telling my wife in the stands, okay, they got the ball to start the second half, three and out, we get a touchdown. What better could you want? Right? That's awesome. Yep. Well, then we proceed to start from our 26 and from our 17 and then from our five yard line. And it just goes downhill in the, those other three possessions in the, in the third quarter. And so um, that's what made that so huge. Like you talked about um, it was um, it couldn't have been a more, a more key pivotal time. Um, well, 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 talk me, step me through some, some defense, some, um, did you did you know Hunter Renfro's name before the game? I know you did, but did you think the fifth uh, on the depth chart at wide receiver 
um, would uh, would have such a day? Well, I mean, yes and no. I, you know, yeah, I did know, you know, who he was, and I did know that, you know, he had a big game, you know, against Oklahoma, and he just seemed to sort of be, you know, running open, you know, kind of at will. And they had, you know, they had the receiver that, you know, that was sort of kicked out, you know, or suspended, you know, for the postseason. And so, you know, Renfro's been a guy that just – he just seemed to draw awkward matchups. And, you know, you think of a walk-on, you know, true freshman quarterback in high school, uh, you know, he is – you know, he's like their Dabo Sweeney, right? And so he just seemed to, you know, just always be open and – you know, and it's all the cliches, you know, for a white receiver, right? I mean, he runs good routes. He's the Julian Edelman of the Patriots, but, right? But say again? He's the Julian Edelman of the Patriots, just younger and not as big. Yeah, I mean, all of those things. And, and and you know, and, and but he was able to draw matchups. And it just seemed like they, they liked putting him in the slot and trying to, you know, and it was almost like roulette. You know, we're going to put him in the slot and we're going to see if we can, if we can force a matchup with a linebacker or, you know, we can, you know, we can sort of force, you know, some, some, some type of sort of off coverage. And, you know, and he made a lot of plays with us doing that, but then, you know, he was making plays down the field with, with Minka Fitzpatrick covering him. And, and, you know, again, watching the replay, it was kind of fun, you know, you know, Herbie was having a fun time saying, you know, here's a walk on, you know, true fresh freshman being covered by a five-star true freshman and he's making plays and, and you think, well, yeah, he was. And, uh, you know, Minka got beat once and then, you know, came back and, and, you know, batted down a touchdown. And so, you know, they both kind of had their opportunities. But, man, playmakers can come from a lot of different places. And, and you get a guy that, that, can, that can wreak havoc in matchups, which is what Renfro was doing, and a quarterback that's comfortable finding him, which obviously Watson was. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a scrappy little guy and, and made a lot, of, a lot of big plays for him. Well, I mean, he, he finished with seven catches on the day for 88 yards, you know, a long of 31 yards. So that means his other six catches went for 50 yards. But the, the reason I started there is because we, we talked about in the preseason, this team had questions up the middle of their defense. We yes. talked about this team did not have a C.J. Mosley. We even talked about what linebackers were going to be your third down linebacker to get you off the field. And so take nothing away from Reggie Raglan and Reuben Foster. But I think in that third and fourth quarter, when this team was gassed and was tired of all the up-tempo that they had been running, putting Hunter Renfo in the, in the, in the slot in a five-receiver empty set, this was the first team all season that really exploited our inside the hash the way we said teams could do at the beginning of the season. Other teams have completed one or two passes, but they kept coming back to it over and over and over again. And it was either Hunter Renfro or it was their running back, you know, setting up right behind the, you know, the line of scrimmage. And I was just sitting here saying, you know, during the stands, I was like, you know, damn, this this is this is what we thought teams would be doing all season and, and they're sitting here dinking and dunking us. You know, and they were able to to do that, <clears throat> you know, just as you said, and they kept going back to it like like so many teams were thankful didn't. But they had another little twist to that too, right? Because they had a quarterback that was a legitimate runner. 
And and so you think, well, we need our run stuffers in because he's he's a consistent threat to run, and then that leaves them there in coverage. And you think, well, you know, rotate in a you know a Dylan Lee or you know or or, or someone that can provide some more coverage ability. And and I wonder if they thought, well, he's not as strong in run support, and that's why we can't do it. And so I don't know what the mentality was, but they just seem to they seem to and look, you know, Raglan and, and Foster are improved in pass coverage. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there was a stretch against know, tight against tight ends and that kind of stuff, but not yeah, against a little but, you know, there was a three or four week stretch where you know, Foster got his hands on a ball every week. And you think, you know, you're going to accidentally intercept one of these things. And, and, he, and he, you know, and he never did. But, you know, my point is they got better and better. But their offense seemed to – and I'm glad you brought this up because I think it's a good point. Their offense seemed to almost key on the linebackers. And if not key on them – they certainly wanted to exploit the linebackers, and they said, "Look, we can, we can, we can wear them out. We can wear out their linebackers, and we can make uh, hay right, right here, just like you said, in the middle of the field. We can run, and uh, and then we can pass at them, and we're just going to wear out these two linebackers." And they did. Well, looking back at Deshaun Watson's, you know, carries, he had twenty carries on the game. Obviously, we shut their running back down. At one point, he had 13 carries for 11 yards, you know, in the game until he, you know, he broke a run there in the in the fourth quarter. Um, but, you know, 12 of Deshaun's 20 carries came on first and 10. And, and I think that's important. You know, 60% of his plays were not just, you know, a couple were scrambles on pass plays, but so many were designed runs from the get-go. And um, to your point, it was kind of like, you know, pick your poison. And he was able to sit back there and say, okay, um, your run stoppers are in the game. We'll throw it to Hunter Renfro. You, you come into your nickel and dime, I'll run the ball on first down. And, and it was almost like you, you, you pick what you're in, and I can just I can call something away from it. And yeah. it goes back to me saying at the beginning of this podcast that this was just a really, really, really bad matchup for us, both offensively and defensively. Yeah, I think you make a good point. And, you know, or, you know, early in the game, we did have, you know, obviously more success, um, you know, stopping them. And, you know, one of the big things that I was looking for was, you know, if, you know, gap control. And if our defensive front can sort of play as one unit, uh, you know, then, then we can stuff their run, at least slow down their run. And if we can cover them with a nickel, <clears throat> and so if we can, you know, gap control up front and then cover them with a nickel, that's going to be tough for them to, to devise sort of a way out of that. And we've seen teams not be able to, to do that. And early in the game, we, we were effective in shutting down their run. And they just flipped the switch and said, well, you know, just like you said, they flipped the switch and, and they started passing. Uh, and and we could not cover them with a nickel. And I reached a point where I said, man, we're going to have to go to a dime. And and it was sort of uncomfortable seeing us have to make the decisions that we make other teams have to make. And, and that was sort of uncomfortable for me because I thought we're going to have to go to a dime to stop their passing and that's going to open up their run. And, and you typically, 
we don't see us having to make those types of decisions. We like to watch other teams have to make them. And I don't, I don't know. To me, that was sort of a surreal kind of thing to have to think through. You know, sure. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if you had a similar moment, but you know, what, you know, what did you think? Because we eventually did go to a dime and they did run the ball. Well, and, and so, you know, I wanted to bring up Ronnie Harrison because, you know, Ronnie Harrison has been the, the dime go-to guy lining up next to the linebacker, you know, in the middle. And, you know, as I was watching that third and fourth quarter, specifically the fourth quarter where they had those quick, those quick you know, a minute scoring drive on six plays, sure. you know, I, I went back and, and broke some of those plays down in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I, I'm just going to mention a couple very quickly here is – at one point, we had Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster in the game, and they were completely gassed. And you know, Reggie's on the, I guess, the right side of the def- of the offense, and we blitz him to come after the quarterback. And we we're sitting here um, with Eddie Jackson right behind him over the top, and instead of Eddie Jackson coming down to to fill that spot off five yards off the ball where Reggie Ragland was. We asked Reuben Foster, who's outside the left tackle at the snap, to come run to where right to where Reggie Raglan is in the slot, and he's right in front of Hunter Renfro. And so all this Hunter Renfro kid has to do is flash five or six yards forward, turn around, and Deshaun just hits him, and then he scrambles for five more yards and gets a ten yard gain. Yep. And and I'm sitting here watching that play, and I'm like, you had Eddie Jackson ten yards in front of him. Why didn't you just move him down, neutralize Hunter, keep Reuben where he is, and still blitz Reggie Ragland? Okay. And so, as an example, there was another play where Reuben Foster and Reggie Ragland's both in the game, and we're not in the dime. To your point, we're trying to stay in in our nickel base that we like, and uh, Reuben Foster is over Hunter. It's almost like they were trying both combinations to see what would work, and he comes at at uh, Reuben Foster. He fakes him out wide. Ruben goes wide. He cuts inside of him, catches the ball. He splits Reggie and Ruben and runs in between them and gets like a 15-yard gain. And so and so then, you know, but early in the game, we had Ronnie Harrison. Going back to Ronnie Harrison, we had him in the game early in dime situations. Yep. And a couple times he came off the field and Kirby Smart was kind of laying into him. And, and I don't know, you know, what transpired with Ronnie, but he didn't come back in the game. And in that fourth quarter, you know, we had Maurice Smith in the game um, in, instead of Ronnie Harrison. And, you know, Maurice was out of position a couple times. And so even when we came to the dime late in the game, we, we didn't have what I'm used to seeing. And, and I, I guess what I mean in a roundabout way is, is a couple weeks ago, we brought in Rashawn Evans. We had Rashawn Evans sitting there right next to Ronnie Harrison, right there like inside linebackers. And I love that because Rashawn was able to to act like a C.J. Mosley with his, with his athleticism, you know, right there in the middle of the field. And we didn't try that combination. We brought Rashawn in to rush the passer and put his hand in the dirt, but we, we didn't try that with our dime. And I, I just – I didn't like leaving Reggie Raglan and Reuben Foster on the field together or just one of them in those situations. Um, it just wasn't a bad match. It wasn't a good matchup, 70 offensive plays into the ball game. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you know, with Ronnie Harrison in there, they did go after him a couple times, and, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out his touchdown saving play. Uh, you know, he he just, you know, stuck his arm there, and, and the receiver kind of caught the arm uh, with, with the ball. And that was, you know, we were in the upper deck, but we were, you know, sort of row three in the upper deck, and so that was just right below us. And and he caught the receiver caught the ball, and 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 Ronnie just you know jerking his hand out popped the ball out, and you know, that was a touchdown saving play. And at that level of back and forth that there was in the game, that could have you know that's another one of those plays that'll kind of be lost to history because it wasn't a scoring play, but it's one of those plays that you could reason you know had a direct impact to the outcome of the game. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think the kid has played very well uh, coming in for 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 this team and has provided a spark in 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 shifting us from a from a base nickel to a base dime a lot. I just um, I, I think in that fourth quarter uh, when that forty point barrage was happening, um, we ended up going to to Mari Smith and a very tired Reggie Raglan and 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 Reuben Foster, and uh, I think they took advantage of it. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely agree. What you know, what else on defense? Um, you know, Eddie Jackson had had an interception earlier in the game. I was, you know, I kept rooting for another turnover because we just needed to somehow kind of stop their scoring machine. And and uh, you know that that was a big play. What do you make of Deshaun Hand? I think he got more run in this game than he. And if this is hyperbole, it's probably not by much. He may have gotten more run in this game than he's had, you know, the bulk of the rest of the season put together. No, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I I, I commented um, there there was there was one play that he had come in early, and and he had not kept containment and and had to you know and, and they gave up a play wide because early in this game Clemson was having no success, you know, in the middle of the field between the tackles like most teams don't. And so they they were having all their success wide, and um, to your point, I was surprised to see him as early as we did because you and I have seen many games where he didn't play at all. And, and and David, I don't know if that just speaks to the tempo, right? And 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 us knowing that we had to play him early, you know, and get him in that rotation. Um, but I, we saw a lot more of him than I recall seeing of Denzel Duvall. Um, in this game, uh, which was a little surprising. And um, I think as the game went on, um, he seemed to get more comfortable. Um, and, and he made a couple really, really key plays for, for tackles for loss behind the line of scrimmage that, you know, there were fans out there that said, who was number nine and, you know, didn't know his name. But as he made a couple of these plays behind the line of scrimmage, I, I just had to grin and say, man, there's the future we're sitting here watching. It It is, and it's, you know, it's kind of this is the guy that we've been waiting for. And, you know, we can pick apart 11 different ways while we're just now seeing it in, in a championship game at that. But, uh, you know, this is when when he signed, this was the type of production and play that we're waiting for. And, you know, not that he hasn't been performing, he hasn't lived up to expectations. I don't mean it that way at all. It just was a coming out party on a grand stage. And I think it does set the scene for, you know, for, for his future. And that's darn exciting. Well, I think that, 
this might speak to the extra practice time, right? You know, yeah. does this speak to the to the extra practice that you are afforded from an SEC championship game and a semifinal game and a national championship game that that he gets some more reps that he wouldn't have gotten, you know, with our with the front ten in front of him? Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, absolutely fair. I mean, he's he's fresh relative to the sort of the grind of the season, and uh, and then with that, you know, with the additional practice time. You know, he was able to come out and, and and perform very well. So, you know, look forward to look forward to seeing seeing what else he has in store because you know he's he's going to be you know a front line rotation guy next season. Where this this year, you know, again, save for the championship game, uh, this season he was on the periphery of that rotation. Uh, I think he's going to be center stage in the rotation next year. No, absolutely. Were you surprised that we did not see more Sean Dion Hamilton to give Foster and Ragland some rest? I, I kind of felt like we we really and and when I mentioned Duvall a minute ago, I'm taking nothing away from Duvall. I just don't recall seeing him in the rotation as heavily as we have been. Um, were you surprised that that we we stuck with Ragland and and Foster so much? I mean. Those two were on the field. You know, I don't know the breakdown of the number of plays, but of the 80 offensive Clemson plays, um, we didn't see a lot of Sean Dion Hamilton, and 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 that's where I think we really got tired the most. Yeah, you definitely would have expected to to see him rotate in, um, you know, because because he has played a lot through through the course of the season, and uh, you know he's capable of playing in the middle, and so you know he definitely definitely would expect him to to have gotten a little more run. And then when you reach the point where there's fatigue, uh, and you know, and Saban says, you know, you got to fight through it, you got to, you got to power through it, and, and and I respect and appreciate that, but you know, there's there's limits too, and and there's also kind of sound, you know, let's give a guy a blow so that, you know, he can come back in a couple of plays with a little more vigor, and so I'm surprised that we didn't see Hamilton. And then when it came to, you know, the level of fatigue was was getting on up there, I, I was a little surprised we didn't see a little more Dylan Lee. So, I and I don't know the, the thinking, sort of the thought process, you know, we're going to ride these guys, you know, or ride with these guys. I, I don't know if it was that or, you know, frankly, I you know. And then and you take the competitive spirit of those guys. They would not have wanted to come out, but there's a little bit of, yeah, you're going to come out for a couple of plays here just to catch your wind. Uh, I, and I think that would have been a good decision to, to get a little bit of a rotation there. And it doesn't have to be, you know, equal play or equal snaps, but, you know, just a couple, you know, here and there type plays, uh, you know, on a first down or a second, you know, second long kind of situation. You know, let's give you a little bit of a blow and then get you back out there on a key third or something like that. Well, and it's nothing against those two guys, right? They've, they've had a good year. But it goes back to what you said earlier that, that Clemson flipped the field. Okay, I don't want to give Clemson too much credit. The time of possession was partly inverted exactly opposite in the second half because we scored on a three-play drive to O.J. Howard and we had a kickoff return for a touchdown. So that also helped the the, the, the time of possession in Clemson's favor. Which almost uh, however it happens, though, it happened. Sure, right? sure, sure. And so And so because of that – with them having the ball uh, for so much in the second half, I, I just would have expected uh, that we would have done some of that just to just to give them a little bit of a breather. Yeah. Anything else on defense stand out to you? 
Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to mention um, I want to mention uh, Cyrus Jones for a second. Um, and, and this is not just being, uh, you know, not being not trying to be negative by any stretch, but um, right there at the end of the game where where he gave up that that touchdown play. Uh, when I went back and kind of broke that down, he obviously just turned outside when, you know, when the receiver turned inside. Um, and But then when he went to recover on the play, um, you know, the guy was at about the four-yard line. And 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 he kind of came at him high, and the guy's momentum carried him into the end zone. And, you know, I just wish right there he would have just dove. You know, he was close enough to him. I wish he would have just dove at his knees. And, and just, you know, grabbed a hold of an ankle, a knee, a thigh, something, um, because he had Eddie Jackson over the top of the end zone. He had some linebackers crashing on the plate. I, I wish he'd have just gone and just held on to something at the four-yard line low um, to, uh, to have kept that guy out of the end zone. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, we, they, so we could have had the, uh, the score remain uh, 45 to 33. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Just selfish, man. But the twelve points look nice. So, no, I get it, and and uh, you know, I kind of get the full story there, and 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 like literally, they were lining up for an onside kick, and and if they had recovered that, and and only had a chance to to make a single play, um, you know, I hate to say that I don't like our chances against a single play. But it goes to you know the fatigue fag factor and and you know they were hitting on a lot of plays and a lot of passes and I would not have wanted to line up with them you know having you know twelve seconds and one shot left is is improbable as you think something happening well improbable has sort of been the story of this football season for you know you know kind of writ large right and so for the championship game to come down to an improbable circumstance, I, you know, I, I don't want to be on the wrong side of the football gods in that one. And so I'm, you know, that was a critical touchdown, right? Because, you know, they very well could have put them in a position to steal the game. No, absolutely. Um, there, there's one other thing I, I do want to point out, and I'm just trying to find exactly uh, where in, uh, where in the, the series this happened. Uh, or, or which of their which of their touchdowns um, which of their touchdowns in the in the fourth uh, quarter this was, yeah. And so you know, literally um, on the uh, after one of the Clemson scores when when they had to go for two, um, I guess this was the the second to last touchdown when they went for two uh, to try to make it a, uh, yeah. a a field goal game. Um, Jaron Reed was in the middle of the line on that play yeah. and. And, yes. and, and and he kind of flashed out to the right. And you know I'm a Jaron Reed fan, and I'm not just trying to find a play. But when I went back and watched the replay on this one, he sat there and was smart enough to not go at Deshaun Watson. He would have just – even though Deshaun Watson only runs a 4.840, it's faster than what Jaron Reed runs. Sure. And he was smart enough to sit there and start playing the angle to the pylon – and 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 just and and just trying to to he was the, he was on an island. It was just him, and for him to play it the way he did and be able to knock Watson out at the two and 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 minimize you know save those two points, which who knows how that you know could have could have played out. Uh, just wanted to point that out. Just a, you know a, a great play by 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 Reed. 
Yeah, and that's a high football IQ, right? He he wasn't he wasn't chasing the ball. He was anticipating the angle to be where he needed to be to serve as a wall, right? And so uh, I'm not going to catch you, but I can get to the spot that you're going to get to, and you can't run through me. And then you know, and then he made you know a, a big play. And so and and you think of and you know he's a defensive end. He's he is a nose guard type. Uh, when you look at you know look at his stature, and for him to make a play on a running quarterback at the sideline, I mean, you know, say that out loud, right? You know, nose guards, you know, nose guard knocks knocks the quarterback out at the sideline, and it's a running quarterback. You know, that's <laughs> that's impressive. Just if saying it out loud, yeah, and and that's that's just you know one of those special things, right? That, that yeah. this defense has kind of brought to the table. Well, that's um, the kind of that's the kind of player, and and look, you've called him out, you know, most of the season because of the spectacular play that he's had, and so you know that's the kind of player that he's been, and if and he has been a treat to watch in his press conferences because he's just, you know, you know. It's like he's the sweetest kid, right? And 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 I mean that, you know, just watching his press conferences, he just seems like a really good kid, a really good uh, you know, fine young man, and he is and you can just hear it in his press conferences that he has bought in to the program, has a love for the program, and you know, you think of a JUCO just wanting to come in and sort of, you know, cash in, you know, a national title or something. He could have left last year. And he came back, and and he has benefited significantly by his time under Coach Saban. And um, yeah, he you know he's going to go go down as 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 a favorite player. Uh, you know he's on in in in. I don't think there's such thing as a favorite player because you know I've been accumulating favorite players, you know for for you know more years than I want to say. But it's like somewhere you know, in, in sort of a corner of my mind, I have like my own personal hall of fame. Right. And, you know, there's a couple players on this team on it, it that's on it. And, you know, certainly Jaron Reed is. No, absolutely. Um, well, give me your mini game ball on, uh, on defense. Look, I've got two that have to be mentioned. Uh, and so, um, I, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with one of them. And if you don't pick up the other one, then, then I'm going to circle back and do a second mini game ball. Um, <clears throat> I'm going DJ Petway, uh, you know, and if you look at his stat line, it's not spectacular. You know, he had one tackle for loss. He had two pass breakups, which, which were significant. Uh, I think, you know, he got a paw on, you know, one of the kicks, but he just seemed to be disruptive in the backfield. And it just seemed to be, uh, DJ seemed to be high motor in a way that I've not seen him. Uh, you know, perform consistently. He understood the moment. Yes, and and he rose to it and played well in it, and he just seemed to be very disruptive. And in in like the true spirit of the mini game ball, it's sort of the unspoken, unsort of noticed, unheralded kind of play that is a sh- subtle shift in sort of the calculus of the outcome of the game. And 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 DJ Petway was just that. Well, this is going to sound hokey, but, you know, he understood I'm going out with a bang. Yes. This is it for me. Yep. And um, and made the most of it. Yep. Um, no, I think that's a great call, man. I, I just want to um, 
you know, we, we, we can't really do Deshaun hand, although he'd be a great mini game ball um, because we've, you know, we've already, uh, we've already done him uh, earlier, um, you know, earlier before. Um, I think uh, I know who you're going to go with and um, I'm okay with this because I, I gave him some love in the preseason. Um, I'm going with Rashawn Evans. Okay. And, um, and so it sounds like I didn't hit yours. So that's okay. Cause the listeners will enjoy your thought process. Um, Rashawn Evans finished with three solo tackles, two tackles for loss, which were his two sacks um, on Deshaun Watson. And I point that out because we needed his speed in this ball game. Um, I, I said to you last year, you know, I think it was the Auburn game that we that we highlighted the Tim Williams on one end, Rashawn Evans on the other. And I said, where is this? We need more of this because they have the combination of speed on both edges that can really collapse on these mobile quarterbacks. Yep. Well, Rashawn Evans had a couple sacks in this game, which ironically was when he was in the game opposite of Tim Williams. And if he wasn't in the game, an Alabama player wouldn't have gotten the sack because how elusive Deshaun Watson is and his vision and, and, and how he can escape the pocket. And so um, I think Rashawn Evans being in the game for those two sacks was huge. And, um, and so uh, with him only being in the game, eight or, eight or 10 plays on the game, um, he's going to get my mini game ball. Okay. Well, I've got to go back and I've got, I've got to, to give, I guess, a secondary mini game ball to, to Geno Smith. And if, if OJ's Howard five, OJ Howard's five catches for 208 yards and three touchdowns, if that's the surprise stat of the offense, the surprise stat of the defense has to be Geno's 11 solo tackles. Uh, I kind of did a double take when, uh, when I saw that. And at no point during the game did I really think to myself that, and Geno's having a day. Uh, but there were a lot of tackles, tackles to be made in the secondary. And, you know, when you look at his stat line, you know, he had 11. And he's just one of those guys that's going to kind of, again, he's kind of going to be lost to, you know, the history of, of Alabama lore. And I will go to my grave saying that we do not win the 2011, you know, national title if he does not come out as a true freshman and, and, you know, after the A&M game, when we lose the A&M game and we think the season, you know, is, is lost, he comes in that next week and plays almost every defensive stat, uh, defensive play through the whole rest of the season. And, you know, he almost gets a lifetime pass for me because, it, you know, he alone gave uh, heft to the secondary and, and helped us win that national title. And then, you know, he had some sort of false starts with some DUIs and, and that's a significant thing. And he had some DUIs that kind of put him in the doghouse and interrupted, you know, his career and his playing time. I mean, he's a he's a poster child of you have to behave and conduct yourself appropriately under a Saban program or you you can, you know, lose playing time. And he lost significant, you know, swaths of playing time in his career, not for his ability not for his understanding the system, but for his off-the-field stuff. And for him to come out in his last game and rack up 11 tackles and do so quietly, it just seems like, man, that's just a microcosm of your career. And I just want to give him a tip of the cap because he's going to he's gonna, you know, move on and, and be kind of lost to history. 
but he's always going to be the guy that we won the national title because of him as a true freshman. And, you know, that's special. No, absolutely, man. Well, uh, talk, talk about your, uh, your other love, Kenyon Drake, man. How, um, how excited were you for him for, you know, be on the cover of sports illustrated and, and, and make that key play, um, you know, on that kickoff return. Yeah, you know, moving to special teams, and there's so much to talk about on special teams. You know, we normally we just kind of step through it, but holy cow, there's so much to unpack here. And that kickoff return, man, I mean, just that was just so dynamic. And, you know, and, you know, he, he, he took the steps forward and then bounced it out and, you know, got to the sideline. And you know he's a speed guy. And so as soon as he got to the point where, oh, if he can get the corner – Oh, he's gonna get the corner, and then and then it's just off to the races. And I like the sort of the heads up awareness that, you know, he wasn't. You know, you see a lot of fast guys that just get cocky in their speed, and then you know, if someone actually does have an angle on them, they'll get tackled because you know they, you know, the ball carrier just wasn't expecting it. But he had a, an awareness that hey, I'm a little winded here. I'm not up to full speed. I'm you know, this guy's gonna get me. And so, you know, he positioned the ball, laid out, and it was just – I mean, it was, you know, you know, it was beautiful, right? I know that sounds silly, but it was, it was so athletically artistic and perfect, the way that he laid out, got the ball um, on the uh, – you know, on the pylon, you know, just as he was, you know, touching down – and then, you know, preserved, uh, you know, the touchdown with with the defender coming. And I saw, you know, and everyone, like, takes a little picture of something and, and you know, puts text on it and creates, like, a little meme or, you know, whatever. And so the, the most perfect one I saw was it was a direct aerial shot. I don't even know how they got the, the, the shot. But it was a direct overhead aerial shot of Kenyon Drake completely laid out, scoring the ball, and it said, you know, I can't remember exactly what it said, but, you know, something to the effect of, you know, last year he broke his leg. Six weeks ago he broke his arm. Here he is scoring a touchdown in the national title game. This is what finishing is. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, but, yeah, that was a spectacular play. That was exciting. Well, man, I, I, I went back and, 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 and watched that play in slow-mo. Um, and I just want to add a little color on – on the on the on on just the last part of that is when he made the when he made the punter miss he turned on the jets at the sideline there and when he got to the end and he knew he was going to be caught okay and 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 I had to rewind this a couple times to make sure I saw this right he put his last foot down at about the 4.75 yard line. Okay. So literally almost at the five yard line, right inside the five yard sure. line is where he took his leap. And he put and held both hands on the football in the air so that he wouldn't lose the football out of bounds. He he had the presence of mind to first of all, when he stepped right inside the five on slow mo, you can see him looking down. His foot is barely in bounds, but he he looks down to make sure his foot is in bounds. Then he has a presence of mind to put both hands on the ball as he takes his leap out. Then he has a presence of mind to take his two legs and to flare them back 
and, and throw his knees back up in the air as far as he possibly can so that he keeps his knees from hitting the ground as long as he can. Yep. And only at the very end does he drop his left hand to extend his right hand, which is the hand he just broke six weeks ago. It was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, just ju just the athleticism which he showed on that play to go five yards horizontally in the air like he did, um, I had to go watch it like five times. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, this is this is this is like even better than the TJ Yeldon play in the rain at Missouri. It's yes. like, oh my gosh, and that was that one was pretty spectacular, right? Because because he just seemed to hover, and and this, I mean, there there truly was an athletic artistry to it, and I don't I don't know how else to say it, right? I mean, that's that was phenomenal, right? But it was your boy, and I was like, man, your your boy has come back and and made a play here at the end. Yep. And, made a key play and 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 I have to highlight real quick on that play that um Richard Mullaney um was key on that play. Um Richard Mullaney was the only guy who was right there close by and we talked about football savvy earlier with Jaron Reed. Well Richard Mullaney has a lot yes. of football savvy and and he looked up out of the corner of his eye and he saw Kenyon Drake's about to bust this wide and he took off on his horse and he ran as hard as he possibly could, and he got and and he got to the punter, but he couldn't get there in time, and so he had the presence of mind, David, to pull back a second and say, Drake, you got to beat this guy because I can't push him in the back. Right. And he was smart enough just to pull back a second and not do what we see guys do all the time and get a fifteen yep. yard penalty. But yep. then he gets on his high horse again, and he shields one guy, and he gets pushed forward. And the guy that got Drake, he literally dove and just barely wasn't able to get there. Um, but I think without Mulaney doing what he does, I, I think Drake doesn't make it as far as he did. Yeah, that, that could very well be. You know, and sometimes just being there, kind of running interference and being a little bit of a distraction. You know, the kicker has to think I might just get leveled here versus you know there's no one with the potential of hitting me. And you know, e even just that half a step or that third of a step impact. Uh, you know, can make a difference. And, you know, and the fact that he read it, you know, and we've we've talked about this in, in a number of times on on special teams where Mulaney just seems to know what's going on as much as is everyone. Uh, you know, he, we, we talked about that on, on one of the Cyrus's kickoff returns. Uh, you know, Cyrus kind of fielded a grounder uh, earlier in the season. And, and we made a point of saying that, you know, Mulaney – Mulaney knew that Cyrus was going to do that about the same time Cyrus knew that he was going to do that. And yes. he was able to sort of run convoy on, on that. And so there's, there's almost a, I don't even know how to call it. And, you know, we'll just call it football IQ, but he just seems to have a heightened, a heightened, you know, awareness of what's going on in the moment, anticipating, and then be able to act on that anticipation to help the play, uh, sustain itself. That's, I mean, it, I mean, it's a cliched, but those are the types of things that are just not really coachable. You either have it or you don't. And, and Mulaney's a kid that's got it. No, absolutely. Um, well, Hey, before we talk about the key play of the game that I probably should have started with, but I just know how much you want to talk about the Drake, the oh, Drake yeah. play. We're gonna cover both of them, I, 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 I gotta, I gotta cover, I gotta cover the Clemson punter for a second. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Yes. I, that 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 soccer, you know, that 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 rugby style mm-hmm. run to the right kick um really neutralized Cyrus Jones in this game and allowed them to flip the field and and really pin us in deep in that third quarter. And um I I just, you know, he had he 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 was a key weapon for them in this ball game. And to the coaches staff credit, they did a really good job of of of, of scouting that and you know, they weren't going to let us flip the field with Cyrus Jones. It just wasn't going to happen. No, and, and, you know, I went back and looked at the stats, and Cyrus had one return for 12 yards, and that, and that return was in the first quarter. That was, that was very early where he had a return, and, it was in, and that was a straight-up punt. There was no soccer style. There was no running and, and sort of, you know, pooching it. it that was a straight-up punt the ball, uh, you know, in a traditional sense. And and Cyrus returned it from twelve, and you could you know you could almost and you could almost hear, you know, the conversation that the the uh, the Clemson coaching staff must have had, where you know one guy you know one staffer wanted to just traditional kick it, and another staffer didn't, and they said we'll give you one punt, <laughs> and that one punt was a twelve yard return, and you think well nope. We're not going to give them 12 yards every time, nor are we going to give them a chance to return it. We're going to do the squib, you know, sort of the soccer styles, squib kick, you know, grounders, however you want to call it. And I, and I think, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, you know, during the game, you know, my wife yelled out a couple of times, come on, Cyrus, make a play. You know, you're killing us on, you know, these balls getting balls getting by. And I said, no, that's intentional. We're, we're purposely not fielding that ball. And, um, and I think that would, you know, I want you to weigh in and tell me what you think. But I, I think we intentionally said if it's a squib, squibber, grounder like that in a game like this, uh, just let it go. And, you know, it's an oblong object. It's going to take a funky bounce. And in this game, we do not want to give them a short field because their punter, uh, you know, tricked us into going after a ball that we shouldn't have. And, and and they get the ball on the 10 or something like that. I think we said, look, we'd rather have it on the five than them have it on the 10. So yes. if it if it's going to roll, then, you know, hope it goes into the end zone, but do not touch it. And yeah, there was I a think couple, that was intentional. Yeah, there was a couple times he wanted to put his hands on it, and then he, he thought better, uh, almost like he had remembered the discussion, you know, in the film room. Yep. Um, I, I agree with that. Um, well, well, talk me a little bit about the uh, – about the call of the game, um, you know, I, I've gone back and, and read some interesting stories uh, briefly today. Um, that was actually, you know, was actually talking about this onside kick, and um, it broke down. Um, it broke down Clemson's formation um, to start the game, and the article I read, you know, had some video, had some pictures through the story, and did a really good job of showing. Um, you know, that, that Clemson lined up, the article said where Alabama wanted them to from the very first kickoff. And I'm mad at myself that I didn't spot this at the game, but you know, it, it showed the first kickoff. He was inside that hash second kickoff. He was inside that hash. And the article said that Bobby Williams kept coming over to, to Saban, uh, after, you know, each time for each kickoff. And Saban was like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And then the article said, when he was, he said, let's go for it. 
but it was hilarious. I don't know if you saw it. It was hilarious that they literally sat there licking their chops from the first kickoff and had picked this up in study and um, they waited till kickoff number five to do it. Well, I, I hear what you're saying. I've not read that article and, and, and I'd like to find it and read it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a big step back and I, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, you're not giving yourself enough credit on this one. And, and so, so I will, but this was early in the season, man. This was like the first third of the season. Uh, you made the comment, isn't it funny how we're lining up on kickoffs? We don't have our coverage team fanned evenly across the full length of the field. It's like we're only covering two-thirds of the field, and we're kicking the ball into that back corner. And so we are intentionally designing our kickoff uh, unit to shorten the field, to, to narrow the, the coverage lanes, and, and, and we're putting a gunner on the, on the outside to sort of force a containment. So it's as if we're lining up inside that hash all season long. And so you wonder if that hasn't been a design that's in its, in its, you know, it's kind of a cute article where maybe Bobby was going to the coach, you know, are we ready? Are we ready? We're getting what we want. I don't know if I believe that part of the story is as much as I believe the narrative that, Hey, we're going to design our whole kickoff coverage scheme around the ability to do this type of, of uh, onsides kick at any time we want to during the season when there's a need. And it's a one-shot, you know, moonshot, right? You cash in this chip and you only get to cash it in once. And so, you know, we have all season long, and you you first spotted it, you know, relative to us us having these conversations. And, uh, and, and we kind of talked about it you know, after you had spotted it. And as soon as we did it, you know, and then you go back and watch the, the replay, you know, Marlon, instead of going down the field, he obviously goes out to an angle and there's this whole flat out there that is, that is wide open. And we've created that wide openness by how we've lined up in the teams, you know, and maybe not every team has gone, has gone with us inside, but certainly Clemson did. And, um, Marlon had all the room in the world to go get the ball and, and Griffith, man, he put it on the right place. And when he caught it, that's another one of those things. I don't know that I've seen a more perfect design, uh, you know, for that type of play. That was just, that was just phenomenal. But I give you credit for having spotted that alignment. I mean, three months ago. Now, at the beginning of this article, man, I, 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 you had to read it, man, because otherwise, man, you're you're omnipotent, man. Uh, at the at the beginning, I, didn't read of the, it, man. I promise I didn't read it. Well, at the beginning of this article, um, he alludes to the fact that on any kickoff that, you know, we're going to go. We're, it's almost like a defense or it's almost like an offense saying we're going to take what the defense gives us. Well, the beginning of this article would lead you to believe that this has been in the works for the entire season, and that, ironically, this was the first time a team had truly bought in, meaning Clemson, so that they could play this card. And maybe it's because it was the right combination of we need an extra possession against this high-powered offense. It's the national championship game. 
and this team has bought into it four plays, four kickoffs in a row. But the beginning of the article would lead you to believe that they have designed this months ago for this moment in time. Yep. And I was like, wow. And, and I just was mad at myself that I didn't spot where Clemson lined up from the first kickoff um, and, and, and see it during the game. So uh, I just I just thought that made it even you know made it even more special that that they had just been sitting there sitting on it sitting on it sitting on it sitting on it. Yeah, I I completely agree, and it's and it's got to I mean, how rewarding must it be as a coach to know that you've kind of got that up your back pocket, you know, you've got that up your sleeve, and and you know, you can sit there knowing you have that up your sleeve, and feel like this is not a gamble. I mean, there's some risks to it, yes, but we have so nailed this down that this is not a gamble. You know, even if Marlon doesn't doesn't catch it, there's a great opportunity he has to still recover it because there's no one else over there. And um, you think, man, that's how fun must it be to be a coach and sort of be sitting on something like that and then to call it and it works. How gratifying must that be? Well, that's why he had the big grin on his face on the <laughs> yes. sideline, right? But but this article that I want you to go find even talks about, you know, in practice, you know, I guess some of these practices leading up to this, that Griffin was hitting it time after time after time after time after time. Yeah. That he was just nailing it right where it needed to be, almost like a three-point shooter just, just all net. Yep. He was just nailing it, and that the thing going into this was, can Marlon Humphrey make the play? Yeah, it wasn't so. So, so when I read that in the article, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, because you would think it, it's it's more can the kicker throw? It's it's more can the kicker kick it seventy four yards in the air, uh, or seventy four feet in the air like he did? And I only know that because the ESPNs, you know, yeah, the sports science. I watched yeah, they, they broke it down, but you know, when I read that, it was like, "Wow!" Griffin kept hitting it time after time after time in practice which had to make Saban feel really, really, really good. Sure. Yeah, if you've got a scattershot kicker, then you know, then that sort of factors into the risk, even if everything else is set up perfect. It's like, oh, we can do this, but our kicker may, you know, may may screw the whole thing up, right? And if the kicker, you know, if if he kicks it too hard and it goes out of bounds there, then you know, you've set them with set them up with just phenomenal field position. Uh, and so you have to put it in a place where Marlin can make a play, and then just Marlin makes a spectacular play on it, and then and then just the grin that Marlin had. Did you see that? Yeah, the grin that he had coming off the field was like, man, these guys are having fun. That is that is just fantastic. And so you know, there again, that was a tremendous momentum shift, um, and and we needed it. That's a shot in the arm that we that we absolutely needed. You talk about our defense. Um, I mean, gosh, this reminds me of, you know, back when we played Oklahoma just years ago. How long was this? And we were just throttling, you know, just wearing out their defense. And they went for an onside kick, and the special teams coach, you know, came to Stoops and said, or maybe it was a defensive coach that, that at that time, you know, coordinator went to Stoops and said, you got to do something here because my guys are gassed. And uh, and then so they sort of did that to sort of manufacture a possession, and and that was pivotal to the outcome of the game. They beat us, uh, and then this is one of those situations where it's here. Our defense probably could use a, a little more rest, and um, 
you know, we had just tied the game, and so they're not expecting it. It's it's just one of those situations. Everything kind of conspired together. It wasn't it wasn't out of desperation where you know we need this to get the ball back with twelve seconds to attempt a field goal or anything like that. It was just this is the right time to do this, and uh, and I, you know my jaw dropped and I was like I didn't know that was in the playbook. You know, <laughs> I was like, well, am I watching Alabama football or what? No, that was awesome, man. Um, any anything else uh, on special teams? No, I think we covered the big thing. You know, J.K. had seven punts and he averaged you know forty two. Uh, you know, he pinned him inside the the twenty a couple times. You know, Adam for was one for one for you know one for two on his field goals. Uh, you know, nothing outstanding there, but you know he had you know definitely one that we had to have. Um, you know, special teams across the board, I thought was really good. And, uh, you know, we got a hand on a kick, right? And so that's special teams we have we didn't talk about. And so we had we had a play here, a play there, you know, some of them big, some of them, you know, outsized, gigantic. But uh, special teams was really something else. They came they came up very big for us. And, um, you know, we've kidded about Bobby Williams. Well, I don't know how much we were kidding, but we've talked about him. And and, uh, you know, he'll definitely be back on the staff next year, I guess, huh? No, he he will, and and you know it's also important to mention that in that at the end of that game, um, you know, uh, Adam Griffith had four of his seven kicks for touchbacks, and and I point that out real quick because late in that game when we really 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 needed them to to have a long field, um, he was able to consistently, you know, I, I have to go back and see, you know, where they came, but. Uh, it seems like the majority of those four touchbacks was was in that third and fourth quarter, and um, and that was huge as well. Yep, yep, Ab- absolutely. Well, why don't uh, you know we don't have another opponent, obviously, <laughs> you know, to sort of break down. And so I, I'm going to I'm going to you know I, we haven't prepped this right, so I'm going to come at you. Uh, I, I'm going to come at you, you know, and and just going to give me sort of your guttural guttural uh, response. But you know, phenomenal season, right? You know, we win you know, our 16th national title, uh, it's been quite a run that, you know, that we're having and it's not over, right. We're still in the midst of it. Saban's not going anywhere. He, he has said as much. And so this, you know, we've said it before, we've got to relish this. We've got to enjoy this, you know, because we've had some lean times and it's a good time to be a Bama fan. And all of that is true. All of that is awesome. As we put our final sort of marks on the 2015 season, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw it out here. What sort? Of, what is your key moment? Your key, you know, um, if it's a favorite moment, a critical moment, your key moment. What sort of your key takeaway or memory from from this season? Man, I don't. I don't know if I can throw out my my key moment as far as as far as a play uh, in a game at a moment of time. Um, I, I think I'm just going to have to answer that question by saying that. Saban said early on, he said, I really like this team. And and he said, you know, take nothing away from the other teams that have come before them and what they've accomplished, but I really like this team and um and and how they buy into the system and how unselfish they are. And, you know, we we've seen stories now that, you know, they all kept their letters closed, supposedly. Mm-hmm as far as what their draft grades were until after the season was over. Um, 
You know, as I go back and look at those Ohio State and Oklahoma losses, we just seemed to be off, and we just didn't seem to leave it all on the field. And and so what I will remember the most about this season is a Jaron Reed, who will be a high draft pick, giving it all on the sideline to dash 20 yards to tackle a much faster Deshaun Watson or whatever other stud player had in this game where they just left it on the field. Yeah. Reuben Foster and Reggie Ragland gave everything their ass had and, and could have tore up a knee in the fourth quarter for taking the wrong angle and planning the wrong way because they were extremely gassed, but they didn't give a shit because there was something bigger to play for. Yep. And um, that, that would be my key thing. No, and that's fair. And, and Saban has, has commented that this is one of his favorite teams and he wanted this team to win, you know, uh, you know, for, for, for this team. And so, and, and I think, you know, what you said is, is sort of parallels with that, with that very well, you know, I, and look, I, I'm, I invented the question, right. And so I, I didn't sort of pitch it to you ahead of time. And, and so I, I've thought, I've thought about this a little bit and, you know, one of the key moments that, and again, it's one of those things that gets lost to history, right? We won the national title. And so some things kind of, kind of, you just kind of forget them. But, but one of the key moments for me was coming back in the fourth quarter against Tennessee and Jacob Coker made a couple and, and you and I talked about, we didn't necessarily like those play calls. We didn't like those routes, but he threw a couple of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I call them kind of jump balls and Ardarius caught one and Calvin Ridley caught, caught another one and, you know, marched right down the field. Uh, you know, Henry, you know, springs for a touchdown. Dominic gets hurt on that play and, uh, you know, right at the end of the game. And that kind of cemented for me, you know, getting to the bye and Coker stepping up and leading, you know, a fourth quarter comeback. Those kind of two things. And that sort of set that sort of set the scene for the second part of the season. This team may well be hunting championships because of the way they sort of closed out this first segment and made it to the bye, you know, with the one loss, sort of rebounding, resurrecting their season. Now they can take take a deep breath uh, and focus on sort of this final home stretch. And and they did it, and and, and here we are having a post championship uh, podcast. That that to me was sort of a key moment in the season. No man, that's awesome. Um, you know, as I've had time to think about this question as you were answering that, um, I guess one more thing I want to throw out is um, is is Derrick Henry, and and I want to speak to you know LSU and Auburn games specifically where. He kept being asked, do you want to come out? Yeah. No, I'm going to win this ball game. And and I'm going to carry it 40, 45, 46 times um, because I'm a team player and my team needs me to put them on my back and, and win this ball game. And, um, you know, it, it might go down when it's all said and done five, ten years from now and players get asked these questions that, you know, they might have said, well, you know <laughs> – Derrick Henry can do it, then we can do it. Yeah. And so I we we said early in the season when Derrick Henry was getting just a few carries that he wasn't running with a toughness that we wanted to see. 
we might have worded it differently. I can't remember, but we were we were just we were questioning how things were flowing through the running game with him getting 12, 15 carries and wasn't getting a lot of carries. But we were borderline critical of his play. Yes. Yes. And not so, of the play call and the distribution. It was more borderline critical of his performance. Yes. And so behind the scenes, we will never know why the play distribution was 12, 15, 16 carries a game to how it transpired on the, at the end of the season. Um, and we'll never know the true, you know, what, what, what was behind all of that, but it's just very interesting that, that, you know, his play at the end of this season after the first couple of games of sample size, you and I, if we would have said, if we would have been told he's going to carry the rock like he did in the fourth quarter against LSU when they had nine guys in the box and trying to stop him, we'd have said, you're full of shit. Sure. This is not what we see transpiring in November yeah, and December. Yeah. So, so that, that, that to me, the, the moment of your coach says, I can give you a breather, and he says, coach, give me the ball. It would be the if I had to think of a moment in time is is that's what would stand out for me. Yeah, you know the the in look we could do this for the next two hours, right? But you know in, in that game where he had those carries at the end of the fourth quarter and just completely ate the clock and sealed the game, and you know we got like seventy yards on that drive, all of them were his, you know, rushing the ball, and. Uh, and all all he was doing, you know, was taking the air out of the ball and, and came close to breaking a couple. But, you know, obviously he was he was winded at that point. And, you know, he wanted every every single carry. And, uh, you know, we even and again, we talked about it at the time. Like, you know, if he could have burned four or five minutes off the clock, that would have been significant. But but, you know, he darn well burned everything off the clock. And uh, really, that was a statement performance. And it didn't end in a touchdown. Right. That was just a statement sort of, you know we're, we're going to kill the clock right here. And that was phenomenal. No, absolutely. Well, man, as you said at the beginning of this, you know, Bama fans just need to soak this up. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing real quick that I, I wish I would have said at the beginning of the show that, you know, I think back to 2007 when in my office building, you know, <laughs> the, the rumors were, you know, Saban's going to be offered eight years, $40 million. And, I remember all my work colleagues who were from every other SEC school who was, you know, ridiculing the news. And, you know, there's no way a Saban's going to come to the University of Alabama. And, you know, I just, you know, right. I think I think back to Mal Moore and, and you know, he's got a big old smile on his face because uh, um, what a move. And yeah. um, if, 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 if you could tell Bama fans for that $5 million a year, we're going to get you five national, you know, four national championships. Um, every school in the country would now uh, would now write that check. Yeah, absolutely. I have absolutely. You know, I like what Ivan Mazel says, and I don't know if he sort of came up with it or, or or he got it somewhere else. But you know, Saban is in one of those situations right now that you know he could he could he could live to be a hundred, and he could die at his desk coaching football at Alabama, and opposing fans will say, "See, I told you he was going to leave." <laughs> you know, and it, and that's 30 years, you know, that's, that's, you know, and, and so that's just kind of the storyline with him. Right. And, and you and I spend a lot of time talking about, 
you know, if he'll just come and put our program on the right track and then he does leave after a, a few years, you know, we'll take that. And, and of course he's done that and more. So, um, you know, we've gotten so much more out of this, this time and this experience than we ever expected. And, and, and it's not done yet. So, uh, I think that's super exciting. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, Hey, we'll stop waxing nostalgic. Like I said, we could do this for hours and, and, uh, uh, we'll have to come back and do some shows in, in which we do spend some time with those kinds of things. But, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, signing day. That'll probably be our next big show. And then we'll get into some, uh, you know, before we know, you know, it's the football, it's the non-playing season, right? And so it's recruiting season, then it's spring season, and then it's, you know, summer conditioning. And so there's any number of topics, there's any number of shows that uh, we'll put together and uh, we'll put those out there. We won't be quite on the regular schedule, obviously, as we have during the season, but uh, more to come. And I look forward to it. How about you? Absolutely, man. We got to decide who's the next starting quarterback. Fantastic. That sounds like a couple of shows right there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wind this one down. It's been a lot of fun. Congratulations uh, to, to the University of Alabama and all of our fans uh, for the national title. Uh, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast powered by Bama Hammer. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout-out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.